0: Good morning, and welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen, and I'm one of the volunteer hosts here at church. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we're so thankful and excited that you've joined us for worship today. At Faithbrook, we want everybody to be known. So if you're newer here, in the seat in front of you, there is a blue Connect card. Please consider filling it out and dropping it in the giving box on the way out today. Or if you want to do one online, go to faithbrook.church connect at faithbrook we love god love people and journey together and just last weekend we had a great group do just that we had over 50 people help pack over 200 boxes of food at feed my starving children when people get this food all over the world it is a huge blessing and a lifeline for them so we just want to say thank you to everybody who volunteered their time Their energy in making such a big impact. Well, in just a second, we're going to welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we continue our series, Taking Care of Business.
1: in a series called Taking Care of Business. And a long time ago, there were two brothers, and one of them felt like he needed to take care of business. His name was Cain, and his brother was Abel. You can find their story in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. Well, because of the great fall, sin nature embedded itself in every human being. If we don't take care of that sin nature... Uh, we have a, a temptation to lean into that and do some obnoxious, brutal things. Well, Cain was always jealous of his older brother Abel. He felt like God always favored Abel. And one day it just escalated to the point that Cain took Abel's life. There was a concussion in the kingdom, and God Almighty felt it. And he came running into that garden, a garden of Eden, and confronted Cain. Cain, he says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know. And then he asked this question to God, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, is it my business to know and take care of my brother? Is it any of my business? Well, That's one of the questions that inspired us in this series about taking care of business, not only our personal business, a lot of times it interfaces with God's business, how to live into that, how to view that. Well, this question is, is it my business to know what's going on or even care about my brothers or my neighbors or my friends? It's a good question. Some would say, well, no, my only business is to take care of myself and my family. Others would say, hey, it's everybody's business. It takes a village to raise a child. Some people would say, well, uh, it is my responsibility to some degree, but now we have this, these government programs that really take care of the hurting and the poor and the needy. And some of that is, is true. Did you know in the 1935, President Franklin Roosevelt felt so compelled to help the poor in America that he petitioned what was called the New Deal. And this New Deal was uh, voted on and institutionalized these new programs, including what we would call maybe modern-day welfare. It also started up the Health and Human Services uh, Department. Social Security was instituted to help the needy and the people in America. Well... Who took care of the needy and the hurting before 1935? Well, can I suggest to you, if you dive deep into American history, you'll notice that it was American Christians, the Christian churches, in partnership with the Catholics, who did a lot of the compassion, caring for the needy in America. If you look back, in, for example, higher education, Uh, Most of the universities and colleges that were started 150 years ago were started by Christians or churches that saw the value in higher education. In fact, if you go to the East and the Ivy League, Princeton's Harvard, Yale, their roots, their beginnings was a Christian formation, a, a Christian foundation to start those institutions even hospitals in America. It wasn't corporations, it wasn't the government that saw the sick and hurting and dying in America. It was the Christians and Catholics that said, we gotta do something about this. Uh, If you look in American history, you'll notice a lot of the hospitals had names that corresponded with denominations, like Presbyterian Hospital. If you go down to Hopkins, Minnesota, there's a Methodist Hospital. It wasn't a corporation. It was these Christian church movements. Even Rochester Mayo was started by two brothers who were Catholics in combination with the the nuns and the priests. They started this marvelous hospital down in Rochester because of the compassion, the heart that was on their life. It wasn't the government. It was the Christians. But I would offer you this, but because of the government and high taxes uh, and and helping with all kinds of... um, Initiatives and entitlement and programs. A lot of times, Christians can say, "Well, we're off the hook because there's a safety net. There's someone else that will take care of those people. What is my business to take care of my brothers and sisters?" But is this the way God feels? So, if you kind of get into the Word of God, the Bible, you'll find out that God does care about the hurting, the poor our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. In fact, you'll see in the Old Testament, there's a lot of references that God's people need to care. They need to care and make it their business. Here's an example in Deuteronomy 15, seven. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord, your God is giving you, do not harden your heart or tight-fisted towards them. In other words, be generous to them. You go into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talked about it. And especially Jesus would reference our need to find and see those people who are marginalized or hurting. One of the most iconic examples was found in Luke 10 when he shared the story that most people know in church and out of church, and that is about the good Samaritan. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus re- responded. How do you read it? And this person that was well versed in, in the law and the custom says, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, Well, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will. Live now. Uh, the person who was challenging Jesus wasn't satisfied, and so he kind of uh, comes back and says, "Well, who is my neighbor? You know, who qualifies for my neighbor? Am I responsible for everybody? And, and you know, what what is the category?" And so Jesus replied with this story: A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, and that's key, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, banished his wounds, pouring an oil and wine. In other words, he administered first aid to this dying man, this man in peril. He put the man on his donkey. They didn't have ambulances back then. It was the ancient ambulance was the donkey. Get on the donkey, brought him to an inn. They didn't have hospitals either to take care of him. The next day, <clears throat> he took out two denarii and went, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then he looked at this audience, especially this man, and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, it was the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what can we learn from this? Is it our business to uh, be responsible and care and notice people that might be hurting, that might be in peril? Is it our business? Uh, May I offer you, there's a lot of goodness in this story to notice. Uh, First of all, this good Samaritan had a heart of generosity. He was willing to notice. He was willing to act. He was willing to care. Not only physically, but also financially. In contrast to these um, religious, spiritual people, the priest and the Levite. Experts tell us that it was very common, this 17-mile road. was a commute from from Big Jerusalem down to Jericho, and there was a synagogue down there, and the priest was probably traveling to get to his spot to do his religious duties, right? And and he needed to satisfy uh, the congregants and and the the temple uh, people, and so he's getting down there. All of a sudden, he he sees this man on the side of the road who's been stripped and robbed and beaten, and, and he goes to the other side for him to stop would have brought some complexities to his life because priests were assigned their their hours, their duties, and in the Jewish custom, if you touched a bleeding body, that made you, uh, quote, unclean. That would disqualify him from his spiritual religious duties, and so he avoided that. It, It would bog him down. In fact, you would have to wait seven days before you could be qualified back as clean enough to perform your religious duties, and so he went to the other side. In the same manner, the Levite, which really is a um, a lay leader in the synagogue, uh, very esteemed, right? We might see him today as modern-day church elders or board members. Well, he too. He didn't want to get qualified. He wanted to get down to the temple and have church while this man's laying on the side of the road. They both realized that stopping and caring would cost them. It would cost them time. It would cost them convenience. It, it might cost them reputation, and frankly, it was unsafe, for the Jericho Road was notorious for people setting ambushes, and for, and for them to go over this could have been a trick. You, you never know, and, and so they felt for their even safety, it was just better to, to walk away. Uh, t- uh, when's the last time you've heard of someone picking up a hitchhiker? If I would have told you that last month I saw a guy on the side of the road hitchhiking and I picked him up, many of you would gasp. You would say that is absolutely crazy. Uh, you put your life in the jeopardy. I would never do that. It was almost the same situation. This stranger, who's like, well, you never know, it could be unsafe, and so they kept going. But here, Jesus picks out a Samaritan. Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero in this story. Now that was shocking for this Jewish audience. Because they did not like the Samaritans. To them, they were a lower class. Uh, They were kind of a a mixed race. Uh, For a lot of these Samaritans, they had Jewish blood, but they married outside of their race. That was taboo in their customs and their traditions. How dare you do that? And so they just kind of were a subsect of people, and they didn't associate with them. There was a, a lot of racial tensions, and all of a sudden, Jesus said, the good guy was a Samaritan. Now, why would Jesus bring up this? Why would he use a a Samaritan of all the people and this good Samaritan? What is he trying to get across to us? What does it take to be this person of mercy? I think Jesus is really driving at the the point of generosity and compassion because generosity starts in the heart. This, This Samaritan reached out to this stranger who is in uh, peril because of his heart, his, his generosity. He gave. In fact, he, he uh, would be willing to reimburse. The denarii uh, really represented a, a day's worth of wages. He gave two of those and said, if there's any more need, I will reimburse you. How many of you would set aside two days of your wages to help the needy? But he did it. He not only gave financially, but he he gave physically with his his hands and his time. He got his hands dirty. But more importantly, the Bible says he took pity. Uh, That's a word that means compassion. There was something in his heart that says, I'm willing to stop what I'm doing to help. He didn't look at the race. He didn't look at um, his stature, but he saw his need and went forward. And here Jesus says, go and do Likewise. In other words, see it as your business. I would submit to you, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if, you, if you've received Christ in your heart and you're like, yes, I want to be like him, then, then it is our responsibility to care. Make it our business because it's God's business also. And this generosity starts from the heart. I want to I wanna just look at this good Samaritan. First thing, he noticed that he He cared. Do we care? Do we see? Is there anybody in your circles that's hurting emotionally, hurting spiritually, maybe even financially? I would also submit to you that if we don't get the heart thing right, if we don't have a compassion in our heart, then the other two really don't matter, and it's hard to do. We might do it begrudgingly if we don't have a soft heart and a compassion of love in our life. One of the things that helps me to be more compassionate is to remember that I was the person on the side of the road. I was the one that sin brutalized and deceived and stripped me and robbed me. And it was Jesus Christ who saw my need when nobody else was there that cared or helped. It was Jesus who came to this world, and incarnated himself through a baby. A baby Jesus eventually would go to a Roman cross and suffocate and be crucified for me. He stopped what he was doing and left heaven for me because of his heart and his compassion, his generosity for me. And he's asking me to hold that and live that and and care like the good Samaritan did. We also see that this good Samaritan acted. He just didn't think about it. He just didn't say, well, maybe the government will help or someone else will help or the pastor will help. He got down and administered this first aid. Yes, it would be costly. It would be risky. I think a lot of times, if we're honest, when we think about all the needs in our society, our neighborhood, in the world, sometimes, frankly, just it's overwhelming. That where do you start? We just got food shortage and we got homeless and we got uh, diseases and, and crime and problems. And sometimes it's like, you just want to look away and just say, no, I'm just going to take care of my family and my needs. I don't want to see those people on the side of the road. And it takes some courage It takes them hard to act. Again, Jesus modeled this in the Last Supper. They're in the upper room. I don't know if Jesus did it on purpose or not, but the custom was someone had to clean the feet of the guests. And Jesus went over and he got the towel. He got the the basin and went got on his knees and he starts cleaning the the grimy feet of his disciples. And they were embarrassed. What, What are you doing? Again, Jesus is modeling that it's part of our business to care and to act, not just think, but to act and do something. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever found yourself at a dilemma where God might be asking you to sacrifice something and to get involved, get your hands and feet dirty? Uh, I mean, I can tell you, uh, I'm privileged the way I was kind of raised. My parents were dedicated to a church like this. They had a youth group. And I remember when I was younger, uh, the youth group would kind of do a, a yearly um Performance, choir, singing, things like that. But in my years, they switched to more of a service project. And so they put us on a bus and we'd go some way far and we'd help clean. And and what they were doing is they were trying to um, introduce this concept that if we're going to be Christ followers, then it's about serving, about serving leadership. Uh, I'll never forget that when I was in maybe a senior in high school, maybe a freshman in college, I'm not sure. But my dad got this big idea that we were going. He was going to take the family or the kids, at least, down to the Salvation Army at Christmas time and help um, help serve dinner for the homeless people. So, I, 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 it's game, let, let's go. So we drove down there. It was a cold morning in Kansas City, and it was down in the inner city. I was a little uncomfortable already, a little sketchy down there, right? And here I am. It's just this. this uh, um, 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 innocent young man. I'm walking in there and these, all these stranger homeless people. And, we're, and the director comes up to our family and says, well, you, you do this and do that. And about that time, uh, this, this old homeless man comes into the lobby. And he's just kind of shuffling. He's all disgruntled. And, and he comes up to the, the director and asks for something. And, and then the director looks at me. I'm standing over there against the wall. He says, young man, will you help this man get to the bathroom? He needs to go to the bathroom. I'm like, You're talking to me, right? He said, yeah, the bathroom's down to the left. If you could help him, uh, i okay, all right, uh, sir, come with me. And then this guy's just kind of shuffling, right? And we go down to the bathroom, and and we go in there, and and we get in the bathroom, and it's like, it was just him and me. Nobody was in that bathroom. And I was like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable, right? Okay, here you go, sir, bathroom. And the guy turns to me, and he starts going, oh, he can't hardly talk. And he's lifting up his hand. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not trained in this, right? And then he starts going, I'm like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing, man? And he's trying to talk to me. And eventually he communicated because his hand's so full of arthritis, or they're so numb that he cannot pull down a zipper or unbutton his, his jeans. And I'm like, no, um, okay. Well, uh, I was in this dilemma, right? And, and God helped me, right? I'm like, okay, let's get this thing done. Whoop! Here you go, man. Wow. All right. Well, I, 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 that was uncomfortable. You talk about awkwardness, right? Well, what was God doing in me? Why did he allow that? Because he's testing. He's he wanting the push. Is you're going to be a Christ follower somewhere, somewhere there's going to be some cost. There's going to be some awkwardness. There's going to be some sacrifice that you not only got to care, but you got to act like the good Samaritan. And of course, this good Samaritan, he gave. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus talked about this, this daily wage, just denarii, that he donated at least two days worth of that and maybe more. I don't think that was an accent. Uh, sometimes we don't want to give to the poor or people around us. Uh, we pay taxes and the government does that and, and leave us alone. But there's all the time, there's people that need a little bit of help financially. You've seen incidents where there's GoFundMe, uh, or there's a special offering or need around you, and it's time maybe to, to give a little bit more money. Uh, I, I know there's people in our church and people I know that sponsor children to international um, compassion. They realize that these um, children might need some, some help to make it through. Several, several of you do that. So this good Samaritan, he cared, he acted, and he gave. And I believe that Jesus is teaching this story to answer even that first question in chapter four of the beginning of the Bible when Cain asked, Am I my brother's keeper? This, this is what the, the person of the law was asking. Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus explained this great story as an example of individual attention, of caring, acting, and giving. But is it more than just individual responsibility? Or could it be there's more of a corporate responsibility also? Could it be that there are deeper needs than just physical and financial needs in the human heart today? See, I would submit to you, and you might not agree with this, but the greatest need in our society and man is not so much financial or even um, educational. It's the core of a man's heart, the depth of his soul, how we think, what we feel about ourselves, where are we at spiritually with the eternal God. See, I would suggest to you that most of our community. And nations' problems—it's not so much a political problem or a, a giving tax problem, but it's a moral, spiritual gap that we have. I don't know about you, but I—I I, I mourn all the crime that is happening out there, the—the the, the murders and the and the the robberies and and just a, fr- a fraction of our society that seems to be just disengaging. Could it be that? We have just abandoned the goodness of the Bible, the transcendent truths that talks about morality, civility, and getting along with each other. Let's just start with the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, do not murder, do not uh, t- be envious, do not commit adultery, etc. And so this is where we come in. If our society is kind of on the side of the road, hurting, how can we corporately help? I would suggest to you that the local church, like faith rook is the hope of the world. God is asking us corporately and individually to rescue, to redeem, to heal the broken and hurting world. He is calling us individually, but also collectively to extend his love and truth. Because God knew that we could do more together than just individually. Now, I realize there are tons of social services out there. Right there's a lot of nonprofits. They are caring for people from cancer uh, uh, issues to homeless to even the Girl Scouts. They're everywhere, but where are the people that looks deeper to the soul of man, to the hurts and the damage and the regrets of sin in our relationships? Do we see people who are in need? Not so much physically and financially, but even deeper spiritually. See, I, I believe that the the evil one has done a good job of robbing people of their identity in Christ Jesus. They they he has deceived people to chase the things of the world and thinking that is going to really give them fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. And and when they've done all that, they're still empty and they still have to chase more things to feel good about themselves. Why? God has been sitting there and said, "I'm the one that created you. I saw you before you were even born. I got a plan for your life. Come to me as as the as the Taylor talked about is heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do we see that? Can we warn people that there are thieves and robbers out there that want to lie to you, deceive you, um, take things from you, and your identity, and your confidence, and your security." Why God says, I have all that for you. So the local church is a hope in the world. And sometimes God calls us to act collectively as a community to see people on the side of the road that have been hurt. I think one of our components of acting collectively is what we do right now, every Sunday when people come through a hard week, maybe there's something that your boss has said to you. Maybe something in your, your family or your children or your doctor said to you. Where do you go for that internal emotional hope? Hopefully it's a, a church like Faithbrook. And did you know that every Sunday there's 25 to 30 volunteers? Some of them show up really early to minister to you, to, to love you and care together uh, from, from music and tech help to opening doors to right now, there are people ministering to your children. There might even be a nursery worker that's actually getting their hands dirty, if you know what I mean, right? And serving, they're acting collectively. Last Wednesday, I was privileged to be a part of seven other Maple Grove churches that we came together for our community worship service. The, the world is asking the church, hey, can you guys get along? Are you guys always fighting and competing together? It was a beautiful scene. The the Covenant Church hosted. It was just a packed house of probably over five, 600 people there worshiping and raising the level of, of God's love and presence in the Maple Grove City. We, we talked about how Faithbrook showed up at Feed My Starving Children last weekend, and, and over 50 people showed up. Uh, came together and packed hundreds of meals for kids around the world that are hurting and need something to eat. This is what God is asking the church, the hope of the world, to act collectively. He's also asking us to give collectively, to bring hope and healing to this broken world. You might not know this, but because you give through offerings, maybe the, the offering box or a check or especially our church app, right? We have some money in our budget that we want to bless our community. Let's start with uh, the Cross Food Shelf that we write a check every year to help them. Uh, these food pack, packets that were built last week in Feed My starving Children, we'll write a check to help transport them to ship them off to third world countries. Um, once in a while we'll have families within our congregation that's really hurting. They might have had a tragedy and they don't want to, it's kind of embarrassing, but they're financially hurting. We have a, a, a budget line that's, that's local compassion that we'll write a check to them and just love them and help them. Uh, This spring, we will sponsor a table at the Maple Grove Mayor's Breakfast to continue the presence of Christianity in the Maple Grove area. We can do that because you give. And I think that's why Jesus and the word of God speaks a lot about giving and generosity. It's not to make preachers rich. It's not to have fancier things because there's a lot of hurt and sometimes it takes some underwriting to bless people and encourage people and help them spiritually and emotionally. But a lot of times it's hard to give because we don't manage our money very well. A lot of times we're strapped, we're broke, we're in debt, and we can't afford to give any more to hurting people. Last week we talked about the the business of financial management, that a lot of times money is very personal to us and how we steward it, how we manage it, Uh, is a high responsibility. And we learned that God is looking for people who will leverage what he has provided for eternal things. Can God trust us with some income and resources that we would leverage it and manage it, not only for us and our family and our pleasures, but also for people that might be on the side of the road that don't know Christ, that might need some encouragement and some life-giving principles in their life? Do you do that? Do I do that? Do we do that collectively? Now, personally, um, I'm I'm kind of a news junkie a little bit. I don't, I, I just kind of keep abreast of what's happening, and uh, sometimes it can be very discouraging. and And, and I know uh, the, one of the things the news does is bring all the global natural disasters and problems out there. Uh, for instance, you heard about the the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. I think over fifty thousand people lost their life in this earthquake. Now, personally, I'm just like. That hurts me right I, I take pity on those people, and I'm like what what can I do what what we can do and And you see and the next week there's going to be a famine over here, and the next week there's going to be a flood and disaster and we we go to the the Ukrainian war, and there's millions of people being displaced, and sometimes it's overwhelming and and and, and for the comforts, Terry and I, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough time to run over here and give to dad we we just don't have that, so what can we do and we found. that that we can come together in a global network called the Church of the Nazarene that has 2.6 million members around the globe that is on the front line of helping and hurting people. Faithbrook is part of the Church of the Nazarene that's global, that's worldwide. We are one of over 30,000 Nazarene churches around the globe with 2.6 million members and growing the church in Nazarene are in about 160 world areas with all these different languages. We support 500 missionaries and volunteers and growing. And so when there's a disaster and when there's hurting, Terry and I know that what we give is going to that place in the world that needs some hope and it needs the, the message of Jesus Christ. Last year, you know that Uh, Russia uh, invaded Ukraine, and and there was so much carnage happening in Ukraine, and and people were being displaced. Well, we have churches of the Nazarene in Ukraine. We have churches of the Nazarene in Poland. And so we are in this network. And also the church of Nazarene has a compassionate arm. There's an agency within this global church movement of the church of Nazarene that says, yes, we are the experts. We will take our bandages. We'll take our crisis care kits. We'll take our doctors. And we will go to these world areas if you help support us. Last spring, we also had a special offering of these Ukrainian people that are suffering. And here's a little clip about the Church of the Nazarene and how uh, specifically they went to this world area last year and are helping these immigrants. Let's check this out. So for Terry and I, we 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 want to take pity on people are hurting not only in our community but around the world. one of the ways we have found to do that is support financially this church of Nazarene. We call it World Missions. And so we have just adjusted our our spending in a way that we can take a portion of what God gives us and help other people. In fact, I know you're going to think this is a little crazy, but we live live. Uh, live into, lean into the Malachi 310 tithing principle, that he says, if you bring in the whole storehouse, the tithe into the storehouse, that's 10% of what God gives us, because it's his money in the first place, he will help and provide and to bless us. So we will um, limit our spending at the Comfort Home. We will learn to live simple. We have learned to live thankful. We have learned to be content in all things so that we can give 10% to God in his kingdom. And we give it through this church for local operations here and around in this community. Then we set aside another 3 to 4% of our income, and on a monthly basis, we will give to this Nazarene World Missions that has this compassionate arm. So we know wherever it is in the world, there's going to be some Nazarene on the front line that is going to help people, receive people. And on the other side, they're looking at us, Faith Faithbrook, and say, if there's a disaster in our neighborhood, we're going to be on the front line. So how do we do this? Is uh, we prefer the, the giving through uh, the church app. Many of you might have the church app, but we also you can give through online, our website, or through our, our checks or cash in our giving boxes. But if you go to our, our church app, you'll see uh, a give, and you can plug in uh, let's say uh, let's say fifty dollars just like that, and it says next. Now it's going to have a drop down menu, and the first one is general. The general is, for us, it's the tithe. This is 10% of what God has given us. We're giving it back to God to fulfill his mission here locally, right? And so we give that. But the third one is missions, this is where we give 3 to 4% of our income back to world missions because we know when I see it on the news and I know there's hurting people around the world, we don't have to get in a plane and fly out there. We don't have to write a new little check to Mozambique, to South America and all the different places. We know through the Church of Nazarene that we're a partner with, we're a member with, that our funds are going to those people who are hurting. I want to encourage you to think about that, Right? that not only do we care and act, but we also give. Because generosity starts with the heart. Do we care about that? You know, collecting, uh, caring collectively also that Christ asks us. Because we, we carry the healing truth of Jesus Christ. We care, carry the healing truth of Jesus Christ. The other day I, I saw an article by the CDC Institute that just looked at the American teenager today. And according to the CDC, 57% of teenagers have a persistent feeling of sadness or hopelessness. That means six out of teenagers today have a persistent feeling of hopelessness and sadness. That's up 36% from 10 years ago. They looked at teenage boys. Uh, 30% of teenage boys have the same feeling of. Hopelessness and sadness, and that is also up 21% from a decade ago. Hopelessness, sadness, and I would suggest it carries over to adults. A lot of adults are doing great, smiles on their faith, they're just rocking it, fine, okay? But I would suggest there's, there's these people secretly, privately, because of the gap they have with the eternal God. There is an estrangement in their heart. There is something that's going on deep within them that, that there, there's a hole because Christ is not in their soul. They're responsible people. They're good people, right? But there's still a sadness. There's still something not just right. And God is wanting us as a church and individually to act and to care and to give because generosity starts with the heart. See, everybody needs a savior, they might not think they need a Savior, but everyone needs a Savior for eternal life. The song we said, a heart surgeon, because only Christ knows what's going on in your heart. Everyone needs to have assurance that when I perish, I know that there is going to be a heavenly reward for me. I got a call yesterday of a, of a, a man who was part of our church many years ago, and he passed away. And that daughter's like, hey, my dad passed away. I was wondering if you could help us with the funeral, Right. So the daughter and the family has to be thinking, where's my dad's soul now, right? Do I have an assurance that I will see him again one day? Do I have an assurance that, that he's living in a, in a, a heaven with, with Christ? And because his, his uh, lifestyle and, and following Christ, he's in heaven. Everyone needs that assurance to receive Christ. And also that God can heal, God can restore Because all of us have been damaged by sin. We have all fallen away to some degree. And God is asking, would you stop what you're doing? Would you have pity on people? Would you care collectively? Would you give collectively? Would you act collectively? Because there's an estrangement out there in the human soul that I would say is causing a lot of damage in relationships and in our society. I kind of took a notice of this estrangement, this gap and The Human Soul, the other day, when I was watching the morning news, good morning, CBS, good morning, with Gail King, and they had a guest on there, his name was Kelsey Grammer, is known as Frazier, right, through his career. Well, he's now star in this movie that is just kind of going through our nation called The Jesus Revolution. And so as a pastor and a Christian, I'm like, I didn't know Kelsey Grammer was a Christian. Right, And so I'm kind of leaning into this interview because now I know he's kind of the star of this Jesus Revolution movie. I'm like, how did that happen, right? Well, the, the uh, news people were asking the same question. They're like, oh, it's good to have you here today. We know you're in this movie. He kind of said, how did you get that role, right? And, and so he's kind of mumbling around and he says, well, frankly, I was at a place in my life where I was really questioning things and I, I found myself up really late one night just meditating and thinking. He says, you know, honestly, I was kind of like, man, the next role, I'd really like something more substantial, something that would really matter. And he says to them, the next day, this script came to my house. He says, I didn't know what this preacher's name, Chuck Smith. I didn't know anything about this Jesus revolution, but my soul was hungry and open to it. And so I stepped into this film. And as they started talking about his faith, he said this. We have all been through a crisis of faith in our lives. Kelsey Grammer said, I certainly have. I lost my sense of faith for a while, he said. He talked about uh, his sister was murdered, and he's always been trying to just kind of figure things out and and had this gap between him and God. And then he said this, all people find themselves standing on a precipice where they need some intervention. I think Kelsey Grammer is representing millions of people if they were honest with themselves. They're standing on a cliff. They're standing at a decision moment. And Kelsey Grammer had everything the world has to offer him, fame, wealth, comfort, ease, and yet deep in his soul, he's standing on the precipice. What really matters? Is there a God? Where is my faith in my eternal life? And I believe he answered that call by stepping in, and and tears have come to his eyes through other interviews because this is the most uh, subliminal, important, as his wife said, um, uh, film that he has ever portrayed in his life. Something changed in him. So God is asking it, will you make, make it your business to care for lost people, care for people who are far from God? Will you act? Will you give? And will you care? In closing, I'm going to ask us just to to reflect on a a, a quote that's been around a long time by John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, Methodist Movement, and this is what he said about generosity. Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Would you do me a favor and stand today as we kind of close in prayer and just reflect on this quote? See, God did all that he could by all the means that he could in a very specific way of going to the cross. He's still on the throne interceding for us. And he's asking us to do the same. I'd like for us to just kind of uh, focus in because generosity starts in the heart. Where's your heart today? Can you find excuses not to care for your fellow man, someone else's business, someone else's responsibility? I pay a lot, a lot of taxes for someone else to care. Or I maybe gave at the office and you're kind of avoiding people who need you to stop and come and minister to them individually and collectively. Father, I first want to say thank you for stopping what you were doing, coming to our world and dying on that cross and believing in us that we could have a new life full of your love, full of your purpose, full of your fulfillment and satisfaction. And God, help us to be a good Samaritan. Help us not to look the other way. Help us not to find excuses. Help us to be more courageous and generous never before, God. Especially for people who have not found your love, have not found your forgiveness and eternal life through you, can be the rock and the anchor and the foundation for all things in their life. As a church collectively and individually, forgive us, help us anoint us, God, to bring new life into you and help people thrive in you. We need you and we ask all this in your name, amen. Well, thank you for attending. Thank you for watching us online today. May you have a blessed week. You are dismissed.